our family of listeners is growing every week. Thanks for listening live and through all our digital broadcasting channels. Spread the word to your friends to join our weekly conversation. It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions, our website, ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Paul Dano once said, In tragedy, it's hard to find a good resolution. It's not black and white. It's a big fog of gray. Welcome to Christian Questions. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. And you might say that ours is a long-term approach as we've been broadcasting the good news of the gospel for over 19 years. And I'm Jonathan, and that long-term different perspective has its basis in three things. Godly principles, family values, honest dialogue, always done in a politically free zone. Rick, today is our 989th broadcast, and we've talked the gospel with listeners on several talk radio stations throughout the eastern and central United States for many years. And we figured it was time to bring the good news to the whole world by way of podcasting, so here we are. We thank you for joining us today. This is a contact-friendly format, and we welcome your thoughts via email, website messages, our chat board, Facebook, and so forth. So let's get started. Uh, Jonathan, before we get into our subject matter, I think it behooves us to mention and just spend a moment on the um, amazing tragedy of the uh, shootings in Las Vegas uh, yesterday. And Rick, our prayers go out to all the families that were touched by this atrocity. It, it's, it's an amazing thing. I mean, at this point, the, the latest numbers that I've heard are 59 have been killed and 527 uh, people were wounded. Uh, and you know, and it, it, it's it's the story of it's for no reason. There's nothing there. These are people going to a concert and singing and enjoying themselves. And you look at that, and you you you, and you, you got you ask yourself, how can we be that far off in the world to to, to have those kinds of things happening? It really, it's is heartbreaking. It, it is. It, it's it's heartbreaking, and it causes a lot of questions. And and Jonathan, in a way, our subject matter that we had pre-planned for tonight, which we are going to move forward with, uh, touches on this sort of uh, on on the edge. What, what's the question and the scripture? And let's get started with that. Well, Rick, our question is: Why didn't God make the Bible easy to understand? And this is part two. And our theme text is found in Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And and Jonathan, before we get into our conversation again, going back to the Las Vegas shootings, uh, next week we're going to be doing a program on uh, natural disasters. And is God trying to send us a message? And I think what we'll do is weave a little bit of, of some of the, the thoughts around the questions and the, and the heartache of the Las Vegas shootings from yesterday into that particular conversation. But, but for tonight, so folks, please uh, be with us uh, next Monday evening, 8 o'clock live for that. A few weeks ago, though, Jonathan, we began a conversation about the Bible and its inherent challenges of understanding and interpretation. As we discussed the book and all of its complexity, we suggested a very straightforward and simple conclusion. The Bible is difficult to understand 
because it was purposely written to be difficult to understand. That's right. Okay, now such a conclusion really disturbs most common Christian thinking about converting the world here and now. As we continue to lay out what we believe to be the reasons for such an avoidance of world appeal by the scriptures, we now turn focus onto the really big question of results. Why would God, why did God set up a plan where everyone is not going to get a fair chance to come to an understanding of the Bible in our present environment? What good could possibly come from such a strategy? That's a, that's a big, big question, Jonathan. That is, Rick. And Rick, I, I just want to bring out an announcement. Christian Questions is pleased uh, to, to announce the opening of our new chat room on our website, available during our broadcast. Simply go to ChristianQuestions.com and click Listen Live for the live audio and chat room. Chat with fellow listeners around the world, and we may even include your comments on air. So if you're listening right now, listening live, and you'd like to get involved in the chat, especially on a subject like this, we invite you to do so. ChristianQuestions.com. Click Listen Live and join us for the chat. Jonathan, for the rest of this first segment, let's just walk backwards two weeks to that uh, broadcast, that podcast we did part one of why didn't God make the Bible easy to understand. So let's review kind of how we got to the point where we're going to be lifting off from for, for today. So there were, there were three questions that, or three statements that we, we kept bringing up uh, two weeks ago. The first is, okay, why is the Bible confusing? The Bible does not plainly reveal God's plan and who benefits from it. Instead, it seems to tell a lot of failure stories and reminds us of God's wrath. Okay, so the Bible is confusing, and it doesn't seem like it's got a, an objective in mind, okay? What is it that we feel we want, we, you know, our feelings? What do our feelings want from the Bible? Well, Rick, we just want it to tell us the details. Are we in? Are we out? Does what we believe matter or not? Okay. <laughs> and finally, why God arranged the Bible to be the way it is? Why? God's plan does include the conversion of the world, but first it requires that the human race be left to their own devices to plainly learn how they would fare without God. Okay, so the idea is that God's plan does have everybody in mind, but it's a step-by-step -step process, and we have to wait for the steps to unfold. And, you know, when you look back over the thousands of years of history, and you look at where the world is today, especially in light of the, the shootings from last night, you say, okay, hasn't it gone far enough? Anthony, enough already. <laughs> right, right. And the answer is no. It hasn't gone quite far enough yet. And, and, and let's, let's, again, by way of review, um, let's go to a prophecy in Isaiah chapter 6. This prophecy reveals Jesus' mission as well as the fact that its approach would significantly change. And it's interesting because Jesus adopts exactly what Isaiah adopts to do for himself. And it tells us very plainly how Jesus is strategizing to bring the gospel out. It's really fascinating, this, this prophecy from Isaiah 6, verses 8 through 11. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, 
Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. He said, Go and tell this people, Keep on listening, but do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. Render the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull, and their eyes dim. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and return and be healed. So... In the prophecy, Isaiah is told to to be vague, to not be particular, to not be straightforward. Because if he was, the people might respond. And you think, well, wait, wait, wait. Isn't that exactly opposite of what's supposed to be happening? And so you, you wonder about that, and you look at that and say, well, why would God do that? And Jesus did exactly that. And that's why he said, this is why I talk in, in parables. So, seeing they may see and not understand, and he quotes the scripture. All right, so now, Jonathan, let's finish that scripture. Let's read verse 11, Isaiah 6, verse 11. Then I said, Lord, how long? And he answered, until the cities are devastated and without inhabitant, houses are without people, and the land is utterly desolate. So, there's a time frame on how long you're supposed to talk in, in stories so people don't necessarily get what you say. So, and that's what Jesus, that's exactly what Jesus did. But the interesting thing is in the prophecy you know, of Isaiah, it puts a time limit on it. Now, the time limit is when the cities are devastated and it all looks really terrible, but at least there's a time limit on it. All right, so, <laughs> so we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna hold on to that thought for, for, for right now as we move forward. Again, this is, we're just touching on these things because this is what, the groundwork that we laid two weeks ago in why didn't God make the Bible easy to understand. He didn't want it to be easy. So, again, let's go to those three statements, Jonathan. Why the Bible is confusing. This book applies different sets of rules to different time periods. How am I supposed to know what applies when and when it doesn't tell me. Okay, so if we're saying, yes, there's different rules for different time periods, the average person says, great, now I really don't get it. <laughs> because how do you know what's what? And that's a legitimate, serious, really good question. So when you ask a question like that, you get that feeling, okay, well, here's wh wh what do we feel like we want from the Bible? God, just send me a direct message that tells me what to do. Make sure I get the message. It doesn't include everybody else's rules, but just the rules for me, and just let me do what I'm supposed to. Can't you just send me a text and give it to me so I can understand it? You can even use emojis, okay? <laughs> you know, the, <laughs> that's what we want. That's what the emotions want from the scriptures. But the scriptures, Jonathan, are written far above how we feel because they're written about an eternal plan. So why God arranged for it to be this way? Why, why did he do that? God's eternal plan not only sets the human pathway to life, his plan requires some to be active as his people in carrying people in his own time. Okay. So you're, you're breaking up a little bit there, Jonathan. It's, it's, it's kind of a funny connection that we've got tonight. It makes it interesting. Um, but so, okay, so God's eternal plan it not only sets the pathway to life now, but it's, it's, it's got different 
facets to it that it's got to be allowed to carry out in the time that it needs to carry them out. So we want to be careful to, to accept the bigness of the plan of the Bible and not limit what the Bible says to how I feel about it. And, you know, if we can get beyond how I feel about it and say, yes, okay, I, I get that the Bible is a book that gives an eternal plan. It takes a long time to unfold. Rules change as time goes on. And the prophecies actually tell us about all of that. And the Isaiah prophecy we just read is an example. So now let's go to, with that in mind, let's go to another scripture. Now let's go to New Testament. Apostle Peter, in 1 Peter 2, 9-12, builds on prophecy and explains the role that Jesus' followers will play in relation to the rest of humanity. So what we're going to find from this particular verse, these verses in 1 Peter 2, is that the true followers of Jesus play a really pivotal role with the rest of the world in terms of where they fit into God's plan. Okay, let's let's start with that. Let's go to uh, second. Uh, I'm sorry, First Peter two, uh, verses nine and ten. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. All right, so Jonathan, there's a lot of elements in, in that verse. And, and Rick, I had a question. When Peter's talking about a holy nation, now I realize Israel was a holy nation, but what did Peter mean? Was he talking about another holy nation like the U.S. or something? Well, you know, that, that's a good question. Uh, and, and the answer is there is a physical, earthly part of Israel, which is the nation of Israel, which has played, does play, and will play an amazingly important role in the plan of God. And then there's the spiritual aspect of Israel, which has played, does play, and will play an amazingly important role in the plan of God. The roles of the two, spiritual and, and, and natural Israel, will be connected and similar, but they will be very different in, in a lot of the details. And, you know, we know that there's a difference in the physical, in, in, in spiritual Israel and, and natural Israel by looking at the promise given to Abraham. You know, when he talks about, in your seed will all the families of the earth be blessed, he talks about your seed as the sands of the seashore and as the stars of heaven. Something earthly, something heavenly. So when it says a holy nation, you're talking now to spiritual Israel who will work in conjunction with natural Israel. So a really good question to clarify what that all is. A chosen race, a, a, a royal priesthood, all of these things are for the purpose of the world being able to come to Jesus. Not now, but later. So Peter ends with the impact that the true followers of Christ will have on the world. Again, not now, but later. So we're back in 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, let's read verse uh, 11 and 12. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. So 
Now, let, let's make sure we understand. The Apostle Peter in 1 Peter is writing to the true followers of Christ. And Jonathan, I, I want to uh, readopt a line that we used to always use when we would talk about the letters written in the New Testament. Okay. If you are not one of those true followers of Christ, called to follow in Jesus' footsteps to a life of sacrifice, and you read the New Testament, you are reading somebody else's mail. Okay? It, it was meant for them. You can get, learn things from it, but everything may not make sense unless you're walking in those specific steps of following after Christ. So he says, keep your behavior excellent in front of the Gentiles, even if they slander you and, 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 they, and they call you evildoers, because your goodness will shine forth to them, not now, but later. And if it's going to shine forth to them later, that really indicates that later they're going to see something good that means they're there, and not some fiery hell thing, but they're there to be able to learn from the goodness of your role in their lives. That's, That's good news. It is great news. That's how important this is. And so with this basis, so, so these called out ones are given privilege and insight. They really are special. They are. And that brings up an important question. Does God only care about his special people and do the rest to ignorance and destruction or worse? If you disagree with some of Rick and Jonathan's viewpoints, no matter your beliefs, we want to hear from you. Reach out to us at ChristianQuestions.com or through our app by searching for Christian Questions in your app store. Our producers are feeding us your awesome comments and questions every week, so keep them coming. In this next CQ chapter, we're going 3D. Three viewpoints. Christian, secular, and neutral. To many, the idea that God only cares about a select few is an easy conclusion to draw, for we are looking at a plan that has taken all of human history to unfold, and it is still not manifest. To see the future, to see what care God has pre-planned for all of mankind, we must first look back into the past and focus our eyes to see through the window of Bible prophecy. And Jonathan, if we can do that, if we can focus our eyes to see through the window of Bible prophecy, we're going to see things that we, would, we never saw before. But you got to be willing to do it. That's thrilling. It is. It is. It's exciting. So, having talked about the window of Bible prophecy, let's, like, the, like, like, like uh, the, in, in the break it said, you know, we're going to go 3D, secular view. Uh, let's go to an atheistic point of view on the Bible. And folks, I'm going to tell you right off the bat that pretty much everything you're going to hear in this next soundbite, I flatly disagree with, but that's why we're playing it. We're giving you a different perspective on what we're talking about, and we'll, 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 we'll put some commentary in place to, to explain it, as we see fit. So in this first soundbite, Jonathan, we're going to go to this, the same young man. You know, this is from his uh, YouTube site, Voice of Reason. It's very clever. V-O-Y-S-O-V, Voice of Reason. Uh, and it's his uh, video entitled, What the Bible Doesn't Say, Why I Don't Believe in God. Okay, so he's giving us some very specific reasons why he doesn't believe in God. And this first reason he says is one of his favorites. So I want you to play 
pay close attention to uh, this particular reason why this young man does not believe in God. Um, let's see, where am I here, Jonathan? Oh, I'm here. Here we go. I was on the wrong place. Here we go. It's about the failings of the Christian Bible. It is filled with internal inconsistencies, scientific inaccuracies, lies, immoral teachings, and just plain absurdities. Here is just one of my favorite examples. When Jesus was traveling with his disciples, the Bible says, Now in the morning as he returned into the city, he hungered. And when he saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it, and found nothing thereon, but leaves only, and said unto it, Let no fruit grow on thee henceforward forever. And presently the fig tree withered away. Apparently, the son of the creator of the universe did not know when fig trees are in season, or at least that this particular tree was without fruit before he approached it. What is the point of cursing a tree? So he, he said, you know, he, he loves this one. You know, what is the point of cursing a tree? It doesn't make any sense. And, you know, Jonathan, if you just read it without understanding things, you would agree. What's the sense? And, and he's right. It was out of season for the kinds of figs that you can actually eat at that point in time. So he's looking at that and saying, look, there is no logical sense. You'd think if the guy is the son of God, he would know. Now, I'm talking in a very sarcastic tone to just make the point that this young man was making. So you think about that and say, okay, what is the point? Why would you curse a tree? And Jonathan, there is a remarkably profound answer to that. If you are willing to understand prophecy and scripture— in the Bible, the fig tree represents what? Israel, the nation. The nation of Israel. We know that very specifically because it's, it talks about it in the Old Testament. Jesus gives a parable about the fig tree in the New Testament, and it's very easy to, to understand. Jesus is days from being crucified at this point when he curses this fig tree. Okay, Israel has run out of time to accept him. So when he curses this fig tree, he's showing, very plainly showing, Israel is withering. Israel is withering, and it, the, the tree is going, to, is going to shrivel up and not be able to bear fruit because it's about to reject its Messiah. Why curse a tree? Because Jesus was showing a lesson of what was to happen to Israel by their rejection of him as the Messiah. So it wasn't about food at all. It was about a deeper, much more profound lesson. And again, you get those things through prophecy. So now let's take a look at some prophecy. Prophecy acknowledges that, the, that most will simply mock and laugh at the unfolding of God's plan. And it's interesting that prophecy 2,000 years ago said, look, when you get to the time that you and I live in now, here's what it's going to be looking like. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. Know this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? 
Okay, so they're going to come mocking and they're following after their own thinking, their own desires and all of that. And just saying, look, you know, you guys have talked about this for thousands of years and nothing's happening. You know, shouldn't you give it up by now? <laughs> and, and again, you can understand why people would come at it from that standpoint because it has been a long time. I mean, thousands of years is a long time. And you're saying, well, you keep talking about God's kingdom and it's still coming. Come on already. Well, God is a God of eternity. Give him time because he's not in a hurry. And if God's not in a hurry, you've got to wait a long time. That's just the way it works. So prophecy also shows us, it, it showed us what the attitude would be at the end times. And we do believe we are at those end times. Prophecy also shows us the secrecy of God's plan. And this is important for somebody like our friend the atheist here who just looks and says, you know, that doesn't make any sense. Prophecy shows us the secrecy of God's plan. Isaiah 29, verses 11 through 16. The entire vision will be to you like the words of a sealed book, which when they give it to you, the one who is literate saying, please read this, he will say, I cannot, for it is sealed. Then the book will be given to the one who is illiterate, saying, please read this. And he will say, I cannot read. So, you know, you say, okay, literate, Ill illiterate. One who has understanding cannot read a book that has been sealed. You can't because you can't open it. It's not able to be seen. It's not able to be understood, even if you're in a position to be able to understand. And we're going to get into that much more uh, in the uh, next segment, I believe. Yeah, the next segment, we're going to really get into the sealed book thing. But even so, so those who have understanding can't get understanding from it. Those who don't have understanding can be given the same book. It's like, I can't even read that. What are you, what are you kidding? So, it's like you've got this book with all of these answers and nobody can get anything out of it. God's word is out of reach to the capable as well as to all others when it's in the state of being sealed. And you think, well, why would God seal his word if it's got the answers? And the answer to that is really simple. It's just not time. And Rick, even Christianity at times doesn't get it. Yeah, as a matter of fact, this next section of the verse is going to, I think, in, in, a, in a very strong way, highlight exactly that thought. Prophecy also shows us the hypocrisy and lack on the part of God's creation to truly acknowledge him. So again, we're in Isaiah 29. Now we're in verses 13. We're going to skip 14 and go to 15. And, you know, we skip verses, Jonathan, because we try to cram a whole lot of things in to one, one session here. So verses 13 and 15 of Isaiah 29. Then the Lord said, Because this people draw near with their words and honor me with their lips service, but they remove their hearts far from me, and their reverence for me consists of tradition learned by rote. Okay. Woe so, to so, the hang, okay. on, hang on. So right. so tradition learned by rote. So their reverence consists of things that they have memorized. You know, it's good to memorize things, but that's not from the heart. And what God is looking for in these verses is heart reverence, not mind reverence where you can cite every scripture and say, yeah, that's the way it is, but the heart reverence, the, the acquiescence to that which you have memorized. And he's saying, that's not what I'm getting. Not lip service, right? <laughs> right, right. Exactly. Ex exactly. Verse 15. Woe to those who deeply hide their plans from the Lord and whose deeds are done in a dark place. And they say, 
who sees us or who knows us. See, and, and Jonathan, that really does remind me of a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of Christianity today who do the Christian thing because it's a good money-making thing. And, you know, the plan is, hey, I can, I can live a pretty comfortable life here when I preach pieces of the gospel and make it look like what, what people want to hear instead of what they should be hearing. And I think that fits very well into, into these verses. So I think a lot of Christianity has got to be worried about not following through with the true meaning of the book as it's meant to be read. And Rick, God sees and God knows. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, we, we can talk all we want. We can pretend all we want. We can lip service all we want. But you're right. God sees. God's know. It's God's. God knows. It's God's way. Missed by those who merely go through the actions and those who use the word as a tool for their own purpose. That's not what the Bible is here for. That's not what we're supposed to be focusing on. So why didn't God make the Bible easy to understand? Because there's so much there that needs to be put in place over time. It was not possible to have it all understood all at once. You've got to allow sin to unfold and things to work. You've got to allow Israel to come up, to to work through their trials and tribulations, to make their mistakes. You've got to allow Jesus to come. You've got to allow the prophecies to, uh, to unfold about Jesus. You've got to allow him to be crucified. You've got to allow him to be raised. You've got to allow there to be time for Jesus to not be there. All of those things are part of the unfolding of the, uh, the, the book. So prophecy now finally shows us, this particular prophecy, how easily we elevate ourselves beyond our appropriate station. And Jonathan, to me, this is the key culprit in any situation when we start to misuse Scripture. You turn things around. Shall the potter be considered as equal with the clay? That what is made would say to its maker, he did not make me. Or what is formed, say to him who formed it, he has no understanding. I mean, who do we think we are? We make ourselves to be equal with the potter and we're just the clay. Shame on us. Really, shame on us for even beginning to think that way. And that's what idolatry is. Idolatry is taking that which is created and making it something to worship instead of the creator. Whenever you follow into an idolatrous way, within Christianity included, you're going to run into all kinds of trouble. So what this prophecy is showing us, Jonathan, is it's too easy to misuse the scriptures and to be misled because of those who misuse the scriptures. So in spite of these challenges, uh, prophecy also shows us glimpses of God's plan for us. So now, you know, now we're going to go on, same, same chapter, Isaiah 29, now on to uh, verse 18, and the tone now changes, because all of this is so far has been pretty negative. But the tone yeah. here is completely different. On that day, the deaf will hear words of a book, and out of their gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind will see. <laughs> That's pretty good. It says, on that day. See, that day will be different as the mysteries of God's plan will begin to come into focus. All previous challenges will now become surmountable. They will no longer be insurmountable. They will become surmountable. Again, now let's go back to Isaiah 29, the next verses, verses 19 through 24. And this is now in the context of that day 
and that the implication, Jonathan, is the book is now open. Okay, so go ahead. The afflicted also will increase their gladness in the Lord, and the needy of mankind will rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. The ruthless will come to an end, and the scorner will be finished. Indeed, all who are intent on doing evil will be cut off. So you have a whole different ballgame. You see the dramatic 180-degree turnaround that you have from the beginning of this prophecy to where we are now? You have those who can see not being able to see at the beginning. They can't open the book. They can't see the book because it's sealed. And now you have those who could never see and never hear seeing and hearing all of a sudden. And you have the ruthless having no place to, to, to hold sway. You have those who scorn their, 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 their reign is over. The order and details of God's plan will unfold. Verses 22 and 23. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Jacob shall not now be ashamed, nor shall his face now turn pale. But when he sees his children, the work of my hands in his midst, they will sanctify my name. Indeed, they will sanctify the Holy One of Jacob and will stand in awe of the God of Israel. There is a tremendous change here. And you're saying that Jacob will no longer be ashamed, you know, embarrassed. Israel. Right? Mm -hmm. Nor shall his face now turn pale. He won't be afraid. Jacob representing Israel, what what the prophecy is saying is Israel is a centerpiece now. He sees his children and the works of God's hand. He will set apart the name of God and sanctify the Holy One. and, And everyone will stand in awe of the God of Israel. I mean, so this is the end result of that book having been sealed. The Bible is difficult to understand when the book is sealed, and it's still difficult to understand when it's just opened. Verse 24. It, well, it reminds me, Rick, before we go there, there will be um, no more embarrassment or guilt on the part of Israel for not accepting Messiah, because that's already gone and over. Right, right. And, and you they know— won't turn- they won't be embarrassed. Right. So, and, and that, that's that, the beautiful thing. It is. It is. And, and, and that helps us to understand that prophecy takes time to unfold because things have to be allowed to run their course. Verse 24. Those who err in mind will know the truth, and those who criticize will accept instruction. So, again, you have powerful words that show us what God's plan is in the future. But it's still hard to understand right now. Great quote, Jonathan, from Voltaire. Voltaire. There are truths which are not for all men, nor for all times. And that's exactly what we're describing as we go through these prophecies. So, so Jonathan, we're going to begin to build some Bible understanding keys throughout this podcast. What's our first key for this particular podcast in, in understanding the Bible? Well, Rick, prophecy paints a picture of God's plan. Accepting prophecy is the first step in appreciating the artistry of God. Accepting prophecy. Accepting the fact that prophecy is there and it's showing us something in the future. That's the first step. We have to open our eyes to be able to look through those lenses so we can see the value of prophecy. So look, we have spent a lot of time on prophecy, which is interpretive and hard to understand. It is really hard to understand. So when we get to that day, 
how will all of God's hidden truths be revealed? Will the Bible be rewritten? If we asked Rick, Jonathan, and the CQ contribution team to answer our topical questions in five minutes or less, rather than in several chapters over 90 minutes, they'd probably get a little stressed out. Plus, they love painting that bigger picture by looking at several real-world media perspectives, historical facts, and scripture. That's why some answers may come quickly, but we love taking a look at the bigger questions that aren't so easy. So now one of those bigger questions is about that day. When that day comes, the good book will remain the good book. What will change is the heart and mind of mankind as they will learn to accept and understand the messages of the good book. One of the primary tools for change will be those whose hearts and minds that were already changed and will be the faithful eyes of those few that will shine as a light for all to see. And Jonathan, that's the, that's the key. God's plan unfolds over time. And I sound like a broken record because I keep saying that, but I don't know how else to put it. It just takes time. There are so many layers to get to, so many things to accomplish, because this is a plan that is set up to work for eternity. And if you're going to design a plan set up to work for eternity, you can't rush the details. And you want the best results, right? And that reminds me of the scripture, God desires all to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So for a plan to actually have that brought out, let's wait because we, we want that to happen. Right, right. You want the best results. You're planning for eternity. Slow down, let it unfold, and strive to understand as much as you can where you are at the time in which you live. So speaking of striving to understand, let's go to the other side of the issue. Jonathan is nodding his head vigorously in the no direction. <laughs> Let's go back to our young friend, a voice of reason, what the Bible doesn't say, why I don't believe in God. And remember in the last soundbite, we heard him talking about Jesus cursing the fig tree. It's like, you know, you think the son of God would know better that that tree wouldn't have fruit and so forth. And why bother to curse a tree? Well, Jesus says some things after that. And that's the subject matter of his next criticism of the Bible. Then Jesus decides to use this as a teaching moment and says to his disciples verily I say unto you if ye have faith and doubt not ye shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree but also if ye shall say unto this mountain be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea it shall be done and all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer believing ye shall receive this is a blatant lie because this kind of feat has never been accomplished by any believer in the over 2,000 years since. If this were remotely true, believers would be going around like superheroes, stopping crime, saving people from harm, healing the sick, moving mountains, and cursing uncooperative trees, apparently. So you can tell he's got a wee bit of sarcasm in his voice there. And uh, look, I can understand when somebody reads these things and does not bother to figure out the rest of the story, if you will. You can understand how you, you read this and say, oh, this is ridiculous. Oh, this is stupid. I mean, why would I waste my time on a fairy tale like that? But Jonathan, there again, 
there is profound truth that Jesus speaks here. And we're not going to get into this in great detail, but think about this. We talked about the fig tree as a picture of the nation of Israel, right? The the nation of Israel was withering because they were rejecting Jesus. That's a bad move, okay? And we know what was going to happen is that Israel was going to be scattered amongst all the nations. We know that because we can look back in history and, you know, for the atheists, maybe that's what they should do. Maybe they should look back in history and say, wow, that really did happen. Israel was scattered. Well, think about what Jesus says here. If you, if you have faith, you can say to this mountain, be moved into the sea and it will be done. In scripture, in scriptural picture language, mountains typically represent governments, right? That's right. And the sea typically represents the restless masses of humanity. Now, we've done other podcasts on this. We're not going to get into the whys. But so perhaps what Jesus is saying is the fig tree is withering, and this nation, this mountain, is going to be put into the sea, scattered amongst all the restless masses of humanity throughout the earth. And sure enough, that's what happened. And the interesting thing is, he says to the the disciples, if you have faith, you'll be able to say this. Well, after Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came and they were drawing the Jews to follow after Christ, that's what they were saying. They were saying that you need to be part of this. This is where this is the higher calling that you're called to. So I think that the mountains being cast into the sea, it's not mountains plural. You say to this mountain be cast into the sea. I think there's a message here. And Jesus is saying prophetically, here's what's about to happen. And sure enough, it did. Check your history, AD 65, and see what happened to Israel, uh, or AD 70, rather. See what happened to Israel. See the scattering, the destruction of Jerusalem, and the scattering of the people into the restless masses of the sea. I rest my case on that one. Okay. It's just, if you are willing to look deeper, you can actually find profound answers. If you're not willing to look deeper, it looks foolish. That's okay. You're not supposed to understand now. You'll, you'll have your chance later. God did make a way for the Bible to be understood by some before it was opened up to all. Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 1 to 3 are good verses to sort of get us started on this line of thinking. I will stand on my guard post and station myself on the rampart, and I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me and how I may reply when I am reproved. Okay, so that's the beginning. He's saying, I'm going to stand up. God's going to be telling me something. What is it? I have to be ready for this. Then the Lord answered me and said, record the vision and inscribe it on tablets that the one who reads it may run. So Habakkuk is told, now you've got to write this down because what you're going to write down is going to be for the benefit of the one uh, of the runner, if you will. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens toward the goal, and it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it, for it will certainly come, and it will not delay. And so he's saying what we've been saying. God is saying to Habakkuk, my plan takes time. Face the fact. Be willing to understand that it looks like it's overdue, but it will be exactly, exactly on time. So it says, you know, that those who uh, read it may run. Okay, let's, let's talk about those who run. Who are they? Well, let's look at 1 Corinthians 9.24. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. So 
what it's talking about now that's that's to Christians. That is the Apostle Paul writing to true followers of Christ, saying, "You are the runners." And if we take this and we apply it, what we're looking at is okay. You've got to get to um, that day when the hidden truths of the Bible can be revealed. It gets revealed to the runner. That's what Habakkuk told us. And so now as we look at this, we can also see that the runner perhaps is the true follower of Christ. And so they're given the opportunity and responsibility of understanding. So Jonathan, one of their jobs is to prove that it can be done. That's one of their, that's, that's going to be one of their jobs that they have to prove now so that the world can take it and use it later. So when does the Bible begin to be deeply and widely understood by those who run? Funny thing is, the Bible tells us. So we've been saying, it's sealed. Remember last segment? It's sealed. You can't read it. The literate can't read it. The illiterate can't read it. Nobody can read it because it was not yet ready to be understood. Now let's go to a prophecy that describes when it's ready to be understood. Daniel chapter 12, we're just going to do verses 1 and 4 because there's so much to talk about in so little time. Now at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people will arise, and there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who was found written in the book, will be rescued. So there's a lot of pieces to that. We won't be able to touch on all of them, but it says now at that time. All right, so when we get to that time, something happens here. First thing is Michael, the great prince, stands guard, stands and up. And Michael represents Jesus, doesn't it? Yes, right. yes. So stands guard over the sons of your people. And then it says, at that time, there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation. So it's talking about a time of trouble that had been in history never paralleled up to that point in time. So it's a unique period of time. Are we there yet? No. Are we getting close? I think so. Okay. So at that time, at the time where Michael stands up, then you have this great time of trouble. So you've got Michael standing up first. You've got this great time of trouble coming next. So... Let's jump down to, to, to verse 4. But as for you, Daniel, conceal these words and seal up the book until the end of time. Many will go back and forth, and knowledge will increase. So conceal, uh, seal up the book until the end of time, the end time, essentially. So at that time, when Michael stands up, is the time when the book begins to be understood, and it's the time that precedes the great time of trouble, and it's the time where many will go back and forth and knowledge will increase. And Jonathan, if you look at our world, and you look at the uncanny increases in knowledge and technology in the last, not just few years, but if you look at where our world was 100 years ago, 125 years ago, 130 years ago, and look now, you go, what happened? You know, we worked at, 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 at the... Trans- trans- go ahead. Sorry, I was going to mention transportation, going back and forth, horse and buggy, right. 100 years ago, today. Let's take a rocket. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Traveling at the speed beyond the speed of sound. I, you know, so you, you've got this. So the book becomes unsealed at that time. 
So this brings us to our next Bible understanding key. What is it? Jesus is the absolute foundation of God's plan. To understand and embrace this is the beginning of true spiritual knowledge. Okay. So the, the idea is that we have to understand that Jesus is the, is the centerpiece of this. And that's why we believe Michael is representative of Jesus in this particular point, because he is the centerpiece. And we actually believe that points to the return of Jesus, but that's a, uh, a subject for another day. Uh, the point is, Jesus is, the, is in the middle of the plan. If we want scriptural knowledge, we have to allow him to be in the middle and let everything revolve around him because that's the way the prophecies work. He's always in the middle of what's going on. Great, uh, great uh, quote here, rather, from Samuel Huntington. Partial truths or half-truths are often more insidious than total falsehoods. And again... What we need to understand is sometimes, you know, and, you know, in, in our talking beforehand, Jonathan, you, were, you, you had mentioned something about this quote. Yeah, one of Satan's deceptions is using half-truths to, to steer someone uh, in the wrong direction. Like, how about Eve? Thou shalt not surely die. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, oh, well, yes, she did. <laughs> yeah, because God said they would. You know, so it's, it's a matter of who do you believe. So the idea is to try to find the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. That's what we're striving for. So, you know, it's here revealed that the obscurity of God's word will begin to be lifted. The Daniel prophecy was showing this. And folks, look, I know we're getting into some deep things here, and we're, we're kind of touching on them and not going too, too deeply. We're trying to lay out why the Bible is difficult to understand. Because there's so much detail to put in place for an eternal plan by definition, it's not going to be a snap, crackle, pop, I've got it, it's easy, and I'm done, okay? So, um, who's going to begin to, begin to see the, all of this first? Those who run. Matthew chapter 7, verse 14. For the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Okay, there are few who find it. The called out ones of Jesus are relatively few in number in comparison to those who claim the name of Christianity and, of course, to those in, in, in the whole world. And we talked a lot about this last week when we had Wes Kramer on with us talking about the thief uh, on the cross and so forth, which was really a great, great uh, lesson. Uh, Jonathan, we got to move along in this segment. Jesus made it clear that those who would truly follow him would be blessed they would be blessed with special hardships. And you say that and say, what? what kind of blessing is that? Well, let's look at Luke 9, 23 and 24. And he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will, be, who will save it. So the idea of denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following Jesus is a special hardship. It's not the kind of hardship everybody's going to have to go through. Why do the footstep followers of Jesus have to go through that in such a unique way? To prove it can be done. That's why they go through it. Because in the next age, when the world of mankind gets their chance— they're going to be able to look at the example and say, if you could do it under those circumstances, I can certainly do it under these. It is to prove that it can be done. That's one of the reasons the Bible is so hard to understand. It takes time to prove that in a lesson that's strong enough to stand up for all of eternity. 
You can't just do that. You know, it's just not like popping a piece of bread in the toaster and saying, in three minutes, it'll be toasted. No, no, no. <laughs> God's plan is is a long time. It's a crockpot plan. It's not a, it's not a microwave plan, okay? <laughs> uh, Jesus also made it clear that the hardships of the called out ones, of those who run, would be things that he already proved faithful in. John 15, verses 18 to 20. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. So Jesus is saying, anything you go through, I went through something similar and more. So he's giving his, his, his followers encouragement. So if we are his followers, we need to walk in his steps so that we can prove it can be done. Now look, it doesn't get done because we're so smart or we're so great or we're so disciplined. It gets done because we rely on the grace of God through Jesus. That's how it gets done. Let's make no mistake about that. All right. Remember, God calls the base things of this world because you know there's, there's not so much inherent greatness that they can say, hey, look at me. But, you know, when, 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 when those who are, are, are more basic can become faithful, you say, wow, God did miraculous things with that person. And that's the point. Prove it can be done. Those are the special people that God calls for special purpose to prove it can be done for the rest of the world. So what's our Bible understanding key here? The faithfulness under trial of Jesus' true disciples paves the way for the world's practical ability to see how to apply scriptural knowledge. The faithfulness of the followers of Jesus pave the road so the rest of the world can see it. See, so we can truly see the vital importance of Jesus' footstep followers. Their lives will help open the world's eyes so we see what helps the world to understand. But what will hinder the world's ability to be converted? Before we turn the page, we wanted to tell you about CQ Rewind. It's a free weekly service provided by our great team of contributors who help the guys prepare for each episode. It's an in-depth look at their research, scripture, and much more, showing you the map of Rick and Jonathan's content journey. Now let's continue finding out the better answers as we ask the better questions. It is so important to know your allies. In this case, they are the faithful footstep followers of Jesus. And it's important also to know your enemies as well. We'll touch on three basic hindrances that will challenge the world's future ability to grasp the Bible and its meaning. And we can sum these three things up in one really simple, straightforward phrase. One little phrase. Old habits die hard. And Jonathan, if we realize that and we're willing to recognize that as a truth, then, you know, for us, it becomes easier walking now as we attempt to be true footstep followers of Jesus. And for the rest of the world, it will also be easier. Uh, Another great quote here from Daniel Webster. Falsehoods not only disagree with truths, but usually quarrel among themselves. <laughs> you know, and, and that's one of the interesting things uh, I found in terms of looking for 
uh, support for today's podcast. When I say support, I mean contrary support, looking for the, the right atheist to quote. There's a lot of different approaches that they disagree upon amongst themselves. And, you know, one atheist will say, well, don't say this to them. Because, you know, that's not going to, you got to say this instead. And it's, no, no, don't say this, say that. You know, the, the point, and look, a lot of Christianity does that too, honestly and truly. We they want do. to get to just the truth of the scriptures. We want to put aside the tr- tradition. We want to put aside opinion. We want to put aside feeling. Let's get to the bottom line. So there are three things that we want to, to, to discuss here in this segment that keep us in this time um, keep us, when I, and let me rephrase that, that keep the world from being able to see, keep the world from being able to grasp the magnitude of God's plan. The first and perhaps the greatest obstacle to the world's conversion is the power and the liberty of Satan himself. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. He has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. And and Jonathan, see, there's a powerful thought there. If God allowed Satan to blind people's minds, then how can they be held accountable for eternity if their mind has been blinded by one so much more powerful than they. Well, justice wouldn't allow that because it wouldn't be right. Of course. And so, you know, when you look at that, you say, God's bigger than that. God's smarter than that. God is more well thought out than that. And his eternal plan allows for Satan to have his will and his way and to blind the minds of Billions, for now, for now. You see, that's one of the greatest obstacles to the world's conversion. If it weren't for Satan, the world could be converted right now, okay? God's power and plan handle the obstacle of Satan Satan, in a very specific and powerful and permanent way. Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 3. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he lay hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. So when you see these Revelation verses, there's now Revelation is a book of tremendous, tremendous symbols. And so you got to be careful with all of the symbols. But the idea is that Satan will be bound and he will be thrown into this abyss and it will be sealed over him. Now remember what happened when the book was sealed previously. Nobody could open it, right? Right. Nobody could see it, no matter how much understanding they had. Well, same principle here. If he's sealed in the abyss for this for this this judgment period of time he can't get out of there and it's, for that day right right so you see the plan why is the bible hard to understand because there's so many working parts and one of those working parts is allowing satan to do the things that he does now and then at some point saying enough you're done go away 
and he goes away for a period of time, okay? So that's not a permanent solution yet, but he goes away for long enough to give the world in the, in, in the, in the time of resurrection opportunity to operate without him, okay? So the first great obstacle is the power and liberty of Satan, not to worry, as a Christian friend of mine used to always say before she passed away, Sister Mickey, remember Sister Mickey? Oh, I do. She would always say, God's got this. God's got this. He's going to handle Satan in his way, at his time, in a way that is unmistakable. So, with, if that's out of the way, the second great obstacle to mankind's conversion, and again, why isn't mankind being converted right now? Satan's in the way. Another obstacle that's in the way right now is simple. It's ignorance. Plain and simple, ignorance. Okay, let's go to Isaiah chapter 60, verses 2 and 3. For behold, darkness will cover the earth and deep darkness the peoples. All right, and if there's darkness covering the earth and deep darkness the people, I mean, that's, that's pretty pervasive. You can't get around it. And Jonathan, there's nothing quite so debilitating and frightening as total, complete, utter darkness. And spiritually, most of the world at this point is in this complete and utter darkness. So you make do and you do the things that you think you can do in that state. So Satan's power brings this darkness, okay? And he's allowed to do that right now. And God's power eliminates it in the future with the brilliant light of truth. Now that brilliant light of truth is going to shine through his chosen ones, and that's shown to us in Isaiah chapter 60, the, the rest of verse 2 and then in verse 3. But the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will appear upon you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. So remember in the last segment we were talking about the chosen ones to, to follow in the footsteps of Jesus had to prove that they could do it, prove that it could be done, prove that it can be done, be faithful to Jesus, be faithful unto death, be sacrificial, do all of those things. Here it's showing one of the results. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Why? Because you did it. Through the grace of God, through the power of Jesus Christ, you were able to do that. And, and Rick, for the second point of um, the, the obstacle to mankind, the ignorance problem, also I would think preconceived ideas or false notions when you're resurrected and you've come with that baggage, it's going to take a while to, to push that out of the way. Yeah. Like say that you're a Christian and you're taught you're going to heaven, but you're resurrected on the earth. And you say, hey, why aren't I in heaven? And where's my heart? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. We all carry the baggage of preconceived conclusions. And the day of resurrection, the day of judgment will be no different. We're going to have to undo those preconceived notions. And that's part of ignorance, is, is letting those preconceived notions cloud real truth. Well, the good news, Jonathan, is God will wipe away ignorance. And when the time comes, he will see his covenant able to be written upon the people's hearts. Jeremiah 31, verses 33 to 34, and this verse is really focusing on Israel, but we see it by extension focusing on the world. But so let, let's go through those, those verses. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They will not teach again, 
each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. All right. That great promise begins with Israel, and then it will be passed on to the rest of the world. We'll verify that with our next couple of prophecies in just a moment. But, um, Jonathan, let's, uh, let, let's prepare ourselves to get on to the next soundbite. And, Rick, just before you get into that, um, be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us both on Instagram and Twitter. We have lots of exciting things happening, include of Rick Trivia Tuesday, featuring a not very well-known fact about the Bible. And there are lots of not very well-known facts about the Bible. I think we're establishing that today. Thankful Thursday also has a different post each week about something that we are thankful for, and we look forward to hearing from you about what you might be most thankful for. And to top it off, Rick, we have Flashback Friday highlights of a previous Christian Questions program from the archives that you may have missed. Okay, so social media is alive and well at Christian Questions. We'd love for you to like us on Facebook and avail yourself of Twitter and Instagram and all of those things. Get involved in the conversation. We really love hearing from you and getting your feedback in those ways. Okay, Jonathan, let's go to our next soundbite from our, our young friend, the Voice of Reason, what the Bible doesn't say, why he does not believe in God. And uh, this next segment I find to be really, really fascinating. Um, I, and, and I can tell you already, I feel like getting sarcastic. I'm going to try not to, but I feel like it even before we listen to it. So just, just listen up to his next reason why he does not believe in the Bible. If it were truly the Word of God, the Holy Creator's one important communication to mankind. I would expect it to contain wonderful practical things that could help us during our life on earth. But it fails miserably to do that. For example, the human writers of the Bible did not know about the germ theory of disease. The fact that many diseases are caused by microorganisms which was discovered in the 19th century. But surely God would have known this. A few simple hints like wash your hands before you eat or prepare food or don't put your toilet too close to your water supply could have saved millions of lives from suffering and dying from dysentery, many of them children. Perhaps their painful deaths were part of God's plan? Okay. All right. All right. Look, if you read the Old Testament, if you read Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, one of the overriding themes in those books is what? Washing your hands it's washing everything <laughs> it's being clean it's separating this from that it's being clean and you're right it's about washing it's about it's about staying clean you know and look it even talks about a woman and her menstrual cycle and you know she's unclean for seven days you know it's the the idea of making sure that you keep things as sanitary as you possibly can with the environment you, that you have so when this fine young man talks about the idea that too bad the Bible didn't talk about staying clean, he obviously, obviously never looked into it because it's not hard to find, Jonathan. It is not hard to find. 
And it was a few years before the 19th century, I think. <laughs> well, you know, and that's the thing. God's chosen people, the Jewish nation, were way ahead of the rest of the world in terms of creating and maintaining a much cleaner environment. And, and what about eating foods, eating healthier foods yep. than unhealthy foods? There was a whole list. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. So, so you know, you, you hear that, and I feel like getting sarcastic, but I'm trying to just, you know, be reasonable and say, read the book. If you want to condemn the book, fine, that's your right. But understand it and comment on the things that are actually said in it. You know, why didn't you read about all those verses that talk about cleanliness and then make a comment? I, anyway, let me, let's move on, okay? I'm, I'm ready to move on now. <laughs> Time for the third great obstacle, Rick. Okay, so the first obstacle was Satan's power and liberty. The second obstacle is plain old ignorance. The third great obstacle to mankind's ability to be converted here and now is his inherited imperfection. His inherited imperfection. Jeremiah 31, 29. In those days, they will not say again, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and their children's teeth are set on edge. So in other words, in those days, it won't be inherited imperfection that's going to keep someone from being able to succeed. That's what that particular verse of prophecy is saying. God, as a result of the sacrifice of Jesus, will remove that inherited sin. Remember, we talked previously about the fact that Jesus is the centerpiece of everything. He died for the sins of Adam. He died so that we, having inherited the sins of Adam, can now inherit the grace of God through Jesus. And the grace of God through Jesus cancels out the sin of Adam. Isaiah chapter 25, verses 7 through 9. Now remember, the Jeremiah prophecy we talked about previously about the covenant and everyone will know the Lord. Remember, we said it was made with Israel. And I said, but yes. by extension, it, it goes to the rest of the world. It's a prophecy like Isaiah 25 that helps us understand how it does go to the rest of the world. Isaiah 25, 7 through 9. And on this mountain, he will swallow up the covering which is over all peoples, even the veil which is stretched over all nations. He will swallow up death for all time. And the Lord God will wipe tears away from all faces, and he will remove the reproach of his people from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. And it will be said in that day, Behold, this is our God for whom we have waited, that he might save us. This is the Lord from whom we have waited. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. So, Jonathan, this is a beautiful, beautiful prophecy that he talks about swallowing up the covering that's over all the peoples of the earth. And remember we read previously, darkness covers the earth, gross darkness the people, okay? Death will be swallowed up, tears wiped away, reproach from the people gone. This is, this is the God. You know, every human being wants an opportunity to live life in peace and happiness and to be able to flourish. That's what everybody wants. That and is what here it is. Right. <laughs> And here it is. Is it right now? No. But this is the environment in which the world will actually have the opportunity to be converted. It's not now, but the prophecy shows us it's later. And the question is, if you know that, isn't it worth waiting for? And no inherited imperfection. Right. No mental right. or emotional or physical uh, affirmities that will hold you back from truly understanding. So... All of those things being put in place, 
makes it so that the difficulty of understanding the Bible now becomes worth it when you see that the pieces really sh- give you a shining, shining uh, plan in the end. What's our last Bible understanding key for this segment? Mankind's conversion opportunity will be full and fair and require effort. Okay, it will be full, it's fair, and it requires effort. Look, at this point, this looks like a bulletproof plan for the conversion of the world. It is strong, but one more important question. What about those who just go along to get along? How will they manage? Can they get away with it? Sometimes our questions and commentary can get complicated. That's part of having a thorough discussion. We'd love to hear your opinion. Contact us now at ChristianQuestions.com. Comment through Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or our app. Just when you thought we may be figuring this out, let's get more complicated. This does make it complicated. That's a really good question. And one of the amazing aspects regarding the complex wisdom and truth brought out in the Bible is that every possibility has already been factored in. When God gave humanity a free will, he was fully aware of its pitfalls and designed a plan that would use those pitfalls for his eternal glory. See, in the immortal words of of our sister Mickey, God's got this. What do we have to worry about when he's got this? So let's take a look at how God arranges to truly read men's hearts. Um, Let's go to Psalm 1844. As soon as they hear of me, they shall obey me. The strangers shall submit themselves unto me. Okay, that sounds really good, Jonathan. Okay, that sounds like, hey, as soon as they hear me, they're going to obey me, and the strangers will submit themselves to me. And it's like, oh, and they will live happily ever after. Not quite. No, and, and you know, th- you're right. It's not quite. Before we get to the answer on that, because there's much more to that scripture than meets the eye, we got a comment from Trish here. So let's bring Trish in. Go, Go ahead, Trish. Hi. Um, just was thinking about the young man and his thoughts on the Bible and why he doesn't believe in God. kind of makes me smile because um, in the future he's going to get just what he's looking for because Jesus will, this is it in the Revelation, he's going to rule with a rod of iron. It's going to be, it will be clear to all, very clear, what's expected. He's going to get a clear-cut communication from the Creator. And he's also going to get something he's not looking for, and that's being held accountable. <laughs> okay. And, 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 you know, good good thought, because, yes, you'll get the clear message, but there will be the accountability for the things that you did and said carelessly in, you know, trying to make your point. And sometimes, Jonathan, and look, we're all guilty of this. Sometimes we try to make our point, and we get so emotionally involved that we lose grip on the reality of what we're trying to say. And, That's right. And we can get careless. And, and look, and I think there's a lot of carelessness, frankly, on the part of, of this, this, this guy's reasons for not believing the Bible. So thank you, Trish, uh, for the thoughts about him getting what he's looking for and a little bit more. So, and, and again, Jonathan, that scripture in Psalm 18 kind of said, look, the strangers will submit themselves to God. And at first glance, it sounds really, really great and full of immediate obedience. They live happily ever after, but that's really not the case, is it? No, because that word submit, Rick, means this, to be untrue in word, to lie, feign, disown, to disappoint, fail, cringe, deceive, deny, dissemble, 
fail, deal falsely, liars lie, and lying. <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> so the strangers shall submit all these words themselves unto me. Okay, so outward action and inward heart don't always match. Okay, because no. one of the ways to be described there was to feign, sort of like feigning obedience, like like kind of going along. And you know, your your original question to at the beginning of the segment, what about those who just go along to get along? What about those who are just going to do and say the things they're supposed to do and say because they know they're supposed to do and say them, and instead of doing you know what they really want, they're just going to do and say what they need to do and say so they can get away with it? How does God handle that? Well, God's that got that covered, and I think this verse helps us to understand that. So let's go to. Um, God understands this. Let's go to another verse. I'm going to go to a different translation, and it really gives a sense of what really happens here. This is Psalm 66, verses 3 and 4. Say to God, how awesome are your works. Because of the greatness of your power, your enemies will give feigned obedience to you. All the earth will worship you and will sing praises to you. They will sing praises to your name, Selah. So how awesome are your works? And you know, and this is really building up. Because of the greatness of God, they will sing praises to you, okay? Your enemies will give feigned obedience. So they're going to go along to get along. And you say, okay, well, what happens? Because people are going to do that. God's got this. God, look, remember, God can read the hearts of men. And so he's going to help them understand that going along to get along is not acceptable. And they're going to learn through difficulties that they're going to have to go along and be thoroughly immersed in getting along with the principles of righteousness. So for many, learning from the outside in will be the first part of their conversion. And that's just like children. See, Jonathan, when, when, when your son was very young, he didn't always understand the reasons why you told him to do this or not do that, right? You're right. Absolutely. But he understood the tone of your voice. Yes. And he understood that when mom and dad say it, <laughs> mom and dad mean it. Right. Did he always like it? No. <laughs> did he generally comply? Yeah, he did. <laughs> and once he grew up, did he get the point that Oh, okay. They were actually protecting my little person. You there? I think you just froze up. Oh, what a time to freeze. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely, I said. Okay. You know, but, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> okay, gotcha. Um, so as with children, they'll need to be able to do the right things even before they understand and embrace why they are doing the right things. See, God's got this. He's got it figured out. He's given enough time to learn by seeing the rod of iron like Trish was talking about and then realizing, wow, that's there for everybody's absolute best benefit for eternity. This is a good thing. I think I'll jump right on board with this. God will test this once every human has had ample opportunities. And let's go to, uh, so everyone will be tested. Everyone will be given plenty of time through that thousand-year reign of Christ to be able to come into absolute compliance with God. Then what happens? Revelation chapter 20, verses 7 through 8. When the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations which are on the four corners of the earth. So 
after this period of time where Satan has been removed, where, where inherent sin has been removed, where ignorance has been removed, where all of those obstacles have t- been taken away so you can actually learn the lessons based on the, the value of the lessons without anything interfering, then that's going to be tested. Let's see. Let's see if those lessons have sunk in or if you are just going along to get along. So God's got this. Nobody gets away with anything because God's plan puts it all in perspective. So now, again, Jonathan, we go back to the the initial question. Why didn't God make the Bible easy to understand? The details that we have talked about through these last two two podcasts on this are remarkable in the in in the in the uh, laying out of how God's plan works. And it started, you know, God started working with individuals, and then he worked with families, and then he worked with the nation of Israel, and then he worked with the called out spiritual Israel, and then he will work with the world. And as he goes up that ladder through all of those steps, sometimes the rules change, sometimes the guidance changes, it's always godly, but the end result is to get every human being to the point of being able to pass that particular test. So what's our Bible understanding key here for this point? Mankind's conversion will be genuinely and thoroughly tested to assure that it is sincere, deep, and permanent. And that, to me, is the most important thing. If God is planning for eternity, and he is, then whatever he does has to be tested to the point where it has, and, and Jonathan, this is going to bring a whole new meaning, to a lifetime guarantee. Okay? <laughs> okay. <laughs> God's plan has a lifetime guarantee, but the thing is, lifetime is eternity. So that means the plan cannot, will not, is not possible to fail for the lifetime of that individual, which will be for eternity. So God's plan does take a long time to put into place because it's worth waiting for. It's really, really worth waiting for. Let's go one last time, shall we, to our friend the atheist, uh, Voice of Reason from YouTube, What the Bible Doesn't Say, Why I Don't Believe in God. And uh, this is interesting because he talks about um, Jesus and his healing and why this makes him not believe uh, in the Word of God. So let's listen to this. The Bible tells many stories of Jesus healing the sick, which of course we have no way to verify. How much better would it have been if he could have taught us how to make antibiotics or vaccines? Instead, he chose to let us figure that out on our own, according to the World Health Organization. Vaccines now prevent two to three million deaths per year worldwide. Science has given us what the Bible could not. The Bible offers no explanation for sickness other than curses and offers no cures other than prayer and the laying on of hands. The writers of the Bible did not know any better. A God would have. So, Jonathan, I guess my my best response to that is I'm so glad that we have antibiotics, that they cure two to three million or whatever it is people per year. But the plan of God will cure 
the entire race of mankind for eternity. And that's all those that were ever born right. from the very beginning right. until the, the kingdom is established. Yeah, you can't get a patent for that antibiotic because God's got this, okay? I mean, so, and, and you know, and that's the thing. God's plan takes time. And we are at the period of time where we are seeing some great blessings in scientific breakthroughs that was prophesied by Daniel. Knowledge will increase. Daniel already told us those kinds of things would happen. And we're seeing some magnificent things happen, which are just merely little droplets compared to the tidal wave of blessing that will come from the goodness of God and the healing of God and his plan. So, you know, I, it's, it's just, it's, to me, it's inspiring to be able to look at things like this and say, God really has a magnificent plan waiting to be unfolded. We just have to realize the Bible is hard to understand because it's not yet time for everybody to get it. So the final results then. Humanity will finally and fully learn of God and his plan and the flock to do uh, to his worship. And flock to do his worship, I'm sorry. So, so, so they'll, they will run to do to, to God's worship because that's what they're going to want to do. Zechariah chapter 8, verses 20 to 23, another prophecy. Thus says the Lord of hosts, it will yet be that peoples will come, even the inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one will go to another saying, let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I will also go. So there is, you know, you know how you have these, uh, you know, people get get on Twitter and they create these these uh, these. I forget what they're called. Uh, uh, when when everybody gets together, all of a sudden, you know, you you send out the message on Twitter and like people just show up all of a sudden. That's what this sounds like to me. This is. People are going to be talking to one another. They're going to be tweeting each other. They're going to be texting each other saying, did you hear? Did you hear about God's plan? Get here. Get over here. You got to see this. You got to see the blessing from God. You know. So I will also go. You're going to have people flocking to come and see. Verses 22 and 23. So many peoples and mighty nations will come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days, 10 men from all the nations will grasp the garment of a Jew, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. So, re remember we talked about spiritual Israel and natural Israel working together. And, you know, we spent a lot of time talking about how spiritual Israel is proving it can be done in this day, in this age, as an example for the world. Well, there you see the, the role that natural Israel plays in the, in the goodness and the kingdom of God, because they will be the first to be blessed. And folks, this is how you know things are going to be starting to, to, to fall into place. You watch Israel. You watch Israel. You watch what happens to Israel. And when you see Israel begin to rise above all other nations, you know something is up, and it's God's plan and God's way. A really good quote here, Jonathan, as we begin to wrap up from John Stuart Mill. There are many truths of which the full meaning cannot be realized until personal experience has brought it home. And isn't that what the Zechariah prophecy is telling us? It's exactly that. Every human being will have the opportunity for that personal experience to bring the, ex to bring the truth, the goodness, the full disclosure home so it can actually live inside of their own hearts. So, uh, uh, Jonathan, this is, the Bible is hard to understand. 
But it's so good that it's hard to understand because the gift that it gives us is that gift that will keep on giving and giving with its lifetime guarantee forever. The final result is God's righteousness, love, and wisdom will unequivocally prevail. Psalm 145, verses 17 through 21. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his deeds. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He will also hear their cry and will save them. The Lord keeps all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. So my mouth. Okay, oh, sorry, hang, hang, hang on right there. Okay, uh, yeah, I know I'm interrupting you, <laughs> but you know the Lord is righteous, and He's kind. He is near. He will hear. He fulfills. He keeps, and He destroys wickedness. In those few verses, you have a a panorama of the character of God and how He interacts with His beloved creation, and it is magnificent. Verse twenty one. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord, and all flesh will bless his holy name forever and ever. And so that's the result of all of this. What's our final Bible understanding key? The chaos and confusion in which we presently view God's holy book serves God's eternal purpose and will, according to that book, will be ended. So all the human family will be able to live and thrive in peace and harmony. And so the confusion and difficulty of God's holy book is there for a very specific purpose. And that purpose is to give us a sense of what really is going to happen and what's going to happen for all of eternity. The Bible is hard to understand, folks. It is so worth it being hard to understand. Seek your Rewind, the full edition. Sign up for it if you don't have it to get a better understanding. Folks, we hope you've enjoyed being with us today. That's at ChristianQuestions.com. We're talking about the sacred book of the Bible and the incredible message it has for us for salvation for all of the world. You want to know it. You want to understand it. You want to be able to plant it in your heart because it is life-changing. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, we'll be back again next week. But till then, God's plan is there for you. Think about it. And folks, remember, we love hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's topic. Start a conversation with us at ChristianQuestions.com. Dot com.